Let's open our Bibles to the New Testament, to the third book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at chapter 5 again, working our way through this uh, third gospel written by Luke about the Lord Jesus Christ. As you're turning, let me welcome those who might be watching our live stream at home. Some we've met and know, and some we've yet to meet. We encourage you to join us perhaps uh, next Sunday and uh, any Sunday here at Clifton Park Community Church. We're going to start the reading of God's word in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and see one episode of healing and then continue on to a second episode of healing and see today how these two are related. This is the word of God. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he, changed, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him, Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to, a, to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. May God bless the reading, hearing, believing, and obeying of his holy word. Amen. The sermon title this morning is Willing and Able. Willing and Able. And I hope that you will understand that these two words describe Jesus as our Savior. 
Very simple goal today to, to just repeat it and, and make you understand that Jesus is willing to help and he is able to help. And that's the message we have for our loved ones and for our neighbors. Willing and able is Jesus. Of course, I did my research this week and checked out that phrase and read an interesting article in a human resources journal, HR journal, whatever the name was. I I didn't uh, copy the name down. But the article was, what's the difference between willing and able? You see, there's a difference. And especially if you were a manager and you were hiring somebody for a new job, you would want them to be both willing and able. The journal article says it's important for managers to understand that difference. And and their definitions were ability. Ability is what I am capable of doing. Do I have the skills, competency, and experience to successfully do the job? Whereas willingness is based on my motivation, says the article, my satisfaction, and my engagement with my job. Willing and able. For instance, if... Pastor Dave Bissett wanted to change careers. I hear that uh, they're hiring optometrists and the average salary is almost $120,000. Oh, I'm willing to be an optometrist. I wear glasses. I like reading. I know a little bit about my eyes. I, I, I think I'd like that. I'm willing to be an optometrist. What's the problem? I, I may not be able to be an optometrist because according to the law, they have to go to school and they have to get something called a, a license from the state to practice. You can't just do it if you're willing. You also have to be able. If I have the ability, back to the HR article, if I have the ability but I'm not motivated, I have, have low willingness, training will not fix the problem. Licensing will not fix the problem. If I'm willing but do not have the ability, development might get me to the point where I need to be. The optimum employee, of course, the article concludes, is someone who is both willing and able. So as the Bible tells us about Jesus, the Son of God who came, as Luke puts together his gospel account, and what is a gospel? It's not strictly a biography, it's a persuasive presentation of Jesus, his life, his message, his works, his deeds, presenting Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And in this presentation and in this section of Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus is both willing and able. These two healing episodes, which some preachers might just do one Sunday on one and one Sunday on the other, lose the dynamic of what Luke has clearly put side by side. Jesus is both willing and able. Let's take a look at that, how it's presented to us. First, how is Jesus willing to help? I think that's the clear message of the first episode with this leper. Beginning in verse 9, while he was in one of the cities, Jesus is doing his ministry in Galilee. He's already healed some people. He's already called some of his disciples. He's going to call a few more before the chapter's over. But while he's there, there's this phrase in verse 12, there came a man full of leprosy. Okay, so there's a man and he's full of leprosy. What do we call him? The Bible calls him a leper. It's not a a term of derision, it's just a diagnosis. He has leprosy. 
If you check today, leprosy still exists in the world. The technical type of leprosy that many of us think about, maybe the worst kind that the Bible has in view, is today called Hansen's disease. You can Google it for yourself. Hansen's disease. It's an infection caused by bacteria that grow very slowly, and it may take many years to develop. The CDC says the disease can affect the nerves, the skin, the eyes, and the lining of the nose. It attacks the nerves, which become swollen under the skin. This can cause the affected areas to lose the sense of touch and pain. And that's the problem, because that can lead to injuries like cuts or burns on your extremities, on these areas. Usually the affected skin changes colors, and it becomes lighter or darker, often dry and flaky or white, as we often see in the Bible, with that loss of feeling. With the loss of feeling in your extremities, you can lose a finger, you can lose a toe, you can have infections without knowing about them because there's no pain in that area. If left untreated, we're told the nerve damage can result in paralysis of hands and feet. And in very advanced cases, the person may have multiple injuries and eventually the loss of their extremities. But with early diagnosis and treatment, it can be stopped today. Praise God. Leprosy is not what it once was. Each year in the USA, about 150 people are diagnosed with leprosy. But around the world each year, about 200,000 have some form of leprosy. That's a lot. Well, back in the Bible times, what did this term mean? In the Bible times, it wasn't strictly Hansen's disease. It covered a variety of things that have to do with the skin, from something simple, like uh, some psoriasis or some other things, to something full-blown like Hansen's disease. It's a broad category. What we're told here is that this man didn't just have a rash. He was full of leprosy and maybe had scars or missing parts to his body. He was full of leprosy. And what's strange is that he is anywhere near other people. Because it says, well, Jesus was in the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's out and about, and he encounters Jesus and comes toward Jesus. And the whole crowd (gasps) gasps. Because in the ancient world, as you may know, to be a leper meant you were isolated. Del Ralph Davies describes it this way. It meant he lived something like a living death if you had leprosy. As Leviticus required, uh, they wore torn clothes. He let his hair hang loose and was untended. Should anyone get near, he was to cover his upper lip and holler out, unclean, unclean, so that no one came close. He could not live at home, we're told. He must live by himself or maybe with other lepers. You've heard of a leper colony or a group of lepers that Jesus encounters elsewhere in the Gospels. That was their only community. They couldn't come to the synagogue. They couldn't join in public worship. They couldn't be with their wife and children. They're cut off from human contact. So it's more than just the physical affliction. It was an emotional Social affliction, as Dale Raft Davies says, something like a living death to be a leper. 
And so what do we see? We see this man coming forward, coming close to Jesus. And instead of crying unclean, unclean as he was supposed to, he sees Jesus. He falls on his face and begs, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What's the issue? Here in this episode, as Luke records, it's a matter of willingness. This leper has faith in Jesus. We'll talk about that at the end. But he says, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So what does Jesus do? He says, yes, I will. Yes, I am willing. In the ancient world, you didn't get near a leper. And we know Jesus could heal with just a word. But what else does he do? Verse 13 is very explicit. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the leper. He touched the leper. The shoulder, the head, the arm, we don't know. Jesus touched the leper. Let that sink in. Jesus risks getting contaminated. That's what the normal risk would be. But Jesus says, I'm willing to cleanse you, and I'm going to show that willingness with my touch, and I'm more going to show you my compassion with my touch. And Jesus, the Son of God, does not get ill, but rather he gives health and cleansing in that moment. Jesus could have just cured with a word. And we see that so often in the scriptures. He has that power. He can speak to the wind and the waves. He can speak and someone's child or servant miles away is healed. But with this leper who pleads at his feet, Jesus touches the man to show not only his willingness, but his compassion. It's a clear and public proof that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that Jesus cares. It's a memorable sight. I had very dignified grandparents, my mom's parents. One was a banker and, and uh, one was a housewife, but she was very active in her church and many other causes. I, I don't really ever remember my grandmother not in a dress. It was that kind of thing. And my grandfather almost always wearing a suit except on Saturdays. And I remember how profound it was when I saw them both kneeling to plead and to pray. It's unexpected to see that. But they were Christians. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not standing in honor and seeking to be praised. But coming to serve and to bless and to show compassion. And he touches the leper. As foul as you may be, you know what's in your heart. You know what's in your history. You know what you've said and done or thought about. When you come to Jesus, he will have compassion on you in your need. And that's what he wants us to see. I am willing. 
He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might have life. And it's not just his willingness in this leper's moment and the compassionate touch. We're told in this transition statement in verses 15 and 16, just a little bit more. But now, even more, the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The crowds gathered and Jesus continued to meet the need by recharging, as it were, with prayer. Jesus is persevering. He is not distracted or deterred by the crowds. He's not hiding from the crowds, but rather he is strengthening himself to continue to meet and heal these people, to continue to teach and share the good news. He is persevering. That's how willing Jesus is. He has not exhausted his willingness And just because he has already left planet Earth, the incarnation is done. His human body with its scars was dead and buried, but was raised. And then it ascended into heaven. It will return. Jesus will return. But even though he has departed, he is still willing to help. He is willing to receive. He desires that we would come to him and follow him. As he persevered on earth, he continues to pray and persevere until the day of his return to open the gates and doors of salvation. So I think this first episode is put here by Luke and it's described and it seems very clear. Jesus says, I will be clean. The willingness of our Savior, his heart. No reluctance here. Wide open. We can ask and ask and ask again of this Jesus. Appreciate that. Be in awe of that. But we go on. And we ask this question, which the world often asks. I know you're willing. I know you're a nice guy. You're teaching quite a bit. But are you able? Are you able to help me? What about a a worst case scenario? Or however people want to discuss the willingness They move on to talk about the ability. As we said, both are really essential if Jesus is to accomplish his mission. So this second episode seems to speak to that ability. It starts in verse 17. On one of those days, so it's the same period, Jesus was teaching because that was primary, to teach. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So teaching and healing describes those days. Teaching first, that's the priority, and healing. And now he's got a really big audience, including some VIPs. Not just from the local synagogue, but from all around the area. And some of those guys from Jerusalem are here, from the big city. It's a big deal. And they will be the audience to see Jesus' ability to do what he does. Who is this guy and what is he doing it? And not only does he have the power to do it, but does he have the authority to do what he's doing? That comes into play. It's not just about the power, but it's about the authority. Is he able to exercise that? And we saw with the leper, there was power. What did we see with the leper? The leper was healed immediately. And by the way, when Jesus spoke to me and said, be clean, 
that is a, a word that repl- re- reflects cleansing, purification, uh, particularly cleansing from leprosy, as well as in other contexts, cleansing from sin. Purifying by an expiatory offering to make expiation for. So that's a very comprehensive word that not only affects the body, but it affects the soul. So don't think of it only as one and not the other. It has a broad breadth of meaning. The leper's immediate need was to get that cleaning of his body. But Jesus started there and went the whole way. And the word is powerful. It's used in Hebrews for the the cleansing power of the sacrificial blood of Jesus. It's used in 1 John 1.7. 1 John 1.7 says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When you're a Christian and in communion with Christ, the blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin. That's the same word used of this leper who by faith pleaded for help. Jesus had power over body and spirit. And he gave instructions, by the way, to the leper, follow the process, go to the priest, let them confirm that you're healed, let them look under the folds of your garment and give it enough time, this is cured. It's not coming back. Because Jesus kept the law and the law required that process of confirmation. So we know there's power with the leper incident. Here in this new incident, they let the paralytic man through the roof on his bed because he couldn't walk. He's paralyzed. He has no use of his legs. And we don't know how long that had been if they're completely atrophied and look like skin and bone. We don't know. But he required his friends to physically move him about on this pallet, on this bed. And the other Gospels record this as well, saying how they couldn't get near the house, but they dropped him through the roof. And to drop him through the roof, they had to create a hole. There wasn't a skylight there that they used. They made the hole, which probably got plenty of attention. And then down he comes, right in front of Jesus. What a spectacular sight. It, it, it just fuels the imagination. We'll talk more about it in a minute. But when Jesus heals him, or excuse me, when Jesus speaks to him, it raises a question. Because Jesus doesn't use the word for cleansing physical healing here first. He uses the spiritual expression. We see that here in verse 20. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. As the man lay on the pallet in the room in front of Jesus, your sins are forgiven you. That's kind of surprising, isn't it? But it raises a question immediately with those VIPs who are in the room. Uh, They're asking it somewhat to themselves, but maybe loud enough. In verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? It's not a good thing to blaspheme. Who can forgive sins but God alone? On both concerns, speaking blasphemy would be dangerous, and only God can forgive sins. Those Those are true statements, but they're misapplying and misunderstanding Jesus. Are they not? They're there to observe and they quietly question his work. 
And although they're theologically correct, only God can forgive sins, they fail to see that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one sent to cause the blind to see and the lame to leap for joy, to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah and the whole Old Testament with power and and doing miracles and signs and wonders to identify himself. They're seeing the proof because he'd been healing all throughout the region. They're hearing his teaching, but they're not connecting the dots because they're not seeing with eyes of faith. The Gospel of John describes that difficult challenge to Jesus, the way he was not received. John's Gospel, chapter 1, says this in verses 9 and 10 and 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet, John's gospel says, yet the world did not know him. In verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The light of the world, the word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, came into the world. The world did not know him. In verse 11 from John 1, he came to his own, the Jewish people. And his own people did not receive him. They didn't see. They didn't understand. By and large, there were many, but most did not. And these Pharisees and these teachers are questioning. They're so concerned. Who does he think he is? So they begin questioning his authority. So what does Jesus do? Jesus sees it and he grabs it. He grabs their thoughts and he lays it bare. He goes, he doubles down in front of them all. And he says, which is easier to say, verse 23? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, they're both easy to say. Isn't that the answer? But which is easier to perform, to authoritatively enact? Sure, you can say your sins are forgiven and people can't see anything. How about if you say, rise up and walk, would we see something? So Jesus calls out the doubters. He says, I not only can say these things, I am willing to say them. I have the ability and the authority to make it happen. And while you can't see the forgiveness, let me show you this. Sir, stand up and walk and take your pallet and go home. What was going to happen? Because those words, the proof, did he have the power? Did he have the authority to say those things? Would anything happen? That's the test. We'll all know in a moment. And those legs, which didn't work, we don't know if they ever worked or if they hadn't worked in a while, they begin to work. And he stands up immediately and he picks up his bed and walks out. The authority and power of Jesus. The paralytic is healed as proof of both Jesus' power and his authority. There are immediate results here, even as there were immediate results with the leper. He didn't say, go home and in a few days check it. No, he was healthy. He was cleansed. His legs were strengthened. And he walks out. And the whole crowd saw Isn't that amazing? 
And immediately, verse 25, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. He was thrilled. In verse 26, an amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things this day. Amazement filled them all. I think on that occasion, even the Pharisees and the teachers were amazed. And boy, did they have something to share when they got home. But others would not receive the news so well. But what do we see here? We see not only Jesus' power and willingness, but his authority. And if he can do that with the body, what does that imply about his words of forgiveness? You see, my friends, the signs and wonders that Jesus could do in the physical, material world tell us of his spiritual power to redeem, to renew, to bring life. They go together. And we have Dr. Luke meticulously assembling these accounts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a reliable translation of the word of God. And we know this is what happened. And the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus has changed history. Lives. We could all gather around and talk about how Jesus has touched us physically as well as spiritually. He is willing and able. So you may be asking, what must I do for Jesus to help me? What must I do to be saved, to be touched, to be helped? And maybe we don't even know exactly what our need is. We have cancer. We have an affliction in the body or in the mind or in the spirit. It's a heartache or an ache in the bones. And you may not know the dangers of your sin. When you come to Jesus, he will help you in the ways you need help. He may not take away every physical malady, but he'll get to the heart of the matter. And he promises a new body in the new heavens and new earth. There'll be no more tears in heaven, our permanent eternal home. So what must I do? Uh, We can capture it from these accounts right here in the gospel with these three words. Come, confess, and profess. Or we could say believe. Come. Come to the Lord Jesus. Isn't that what the leper does? He was supposed to stay away from people, but he sees it's Jesus. And he knows something of Jesus. Isn't that his testimony? Do you see his great theological profession? He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knew something about Jesus. That's Jesus? You can make me clean. He identifies the one source of help. My friends, that's one of the big messages of the Bible and hopefully every preacher who preaches. The help isn't found in me. The help isn't found in this building or by following a certain way of life. The help is found by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, to pursuing him in person as it were. Here comes this leper. He ignores the quarantine rules. As one commentator put it, desperation joined with conviction and produced a recklessness that drove him, in spite of all hindrances and barriers, drove him to Jesus, the one that could help. 
This has more excitement than anything Hollywood can produce. A man who sees the Savior and pursues him. In later centuries, he could have been humming Charles Wesley's hymn. We know the lyric, don't we? Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. The only source of help is Jesus. Now, many others had gathered around Jesus. Remember those Pharisees and teachers? I don't think they were seeking help from Jesus. They were present, but they were more spectators. And there may be spectators here. There may be spectators listening to the gospel online. They hear what Jesus has to say. I'm willing. I can make you clean. I'm willing. But the spectators won't budge. Don't be a spectator. Come. Come to Jesus. As a young boy, when television preaching was just getting underway and you would watch a Billy Graham crusade on the TV, there's something so enamoring and empowering with this simple Bible teacher as he finished his sermon and in his North Carolina accent would say, Come. The buses will wait. Whoever's driving you, they'll wait. Come. And he wasn't simply saying, come to the front, come stand down here in this crowd. That's part of it. But he was imploring people to come and find Jesus. That's the first step. You need to draw near to Jesus. You need to pursue him. You don't just take your Bible and sit at home and try to figure it out. You come to Jesus. The Bible will help you, but it will draw you to Jesus. And when you come, you need to confess your need. This leper knew his need. He says, you need to make me clean because I'm unclean. I've got no life. I've got no hope or future. And he was thinking physically and emotionally and not yet spiritually, perhaps. We confess our need. How great was the need of the paralytic? He had friends. He wasn't as isolated as the leper. He has these guys that are willing to break into this house. To help him. Do you have friends like that? This guy had some real friends. But notice what the text tells us as Jesus looked at these guys in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, it's plural, their faith, not just the man on the pallet who's looking to Jesus, but all of them, when he saw their faith, what did Jesus see? He saw them coming. He saw their eager anticipation. You're the one that can help. Here's our friend. Pleading. Jesus perceives their faith. Whereas the leper confessed with his mouth, those who brought the paralytic confessed with their actions, we need your help. And yes, there's a clear profession of faith in him. God forgives sins and the leper gives voice to that Lord you can make me clean we've risked everything breaking into this house master we believe you can help you're the one those scribes and Pharisees certainly knew the scriptures when they said only God can forgive sin that's absolutely true You can find no other forgiveness for your sins apart from God. 
and his provision. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And we don't have animal sacrifices, so what do you do? You appeal to the shed blood of Jesus Christ once for all on the cross. That's our hope. That's why we talk about the gospel and the cross. The psalmist said in Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and you did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Or Isaiah quotes the Lord's voice. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. God forgives sin. People say to err is human to forgive divine, and they kind of leave it at that. They forget that you need to take steps. You need to come to Jesus. You need to seek Jesus. You need to ask. If you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. That's what the Bible's message is. Come to Jesus. Jesus is a Savior. It's not a moral book that you can complete a checklist and get yourself into heaven. It talks about what Jesus has done, his willingness and his ability. So in closing, as I said, it's a very simple message this morning on this communion Sunday morning. Jesus is willing and Jesus is able. There's no problem on his part. He can get the job done. He's willing to do what you need done. Don't spectate. Step forward. Put your faith in Christ. Jesus is near in the preaching of his gospel. We read those horrifying words from John. He came to his own. His own received him not. John 1.11. But there's more. Because John writes good news as well as Luke. And the very next verses in John say this. But. But to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But born of God. To all who did receive him. Who believed in his name. He gave help. He saves. Will you? Will you put your faith in Christ? If your faith is in Christ, will you tell others that he is willing and able still to help them? Perhaps we could end by singing a different tune. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our powerful Savior, your compassionate Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can today remember his death for our sins and his resurrection, giving us hope and life. Father, we pray that the willingness and ability of Jesus as our Savior will be known across this world, that many might join the kingdom, might be gathered into the flock, and have a hope of heaven. Father, thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.